This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right, friends. In a way, this is sort of part two of the podcast thing that I'm doing today. Uh, without being redundant, you already know that I am sitting in a hotel room. I have 25 very, very, very savvy students from my school who, interestingly enough, have an enormous amount in common with the person that I'm going to be speaking to right now, which you will be very excited when you hear that who that person is. Um, I will say, though, something that we did not talk about in the last podcast, just really quickly, just some stuff that I'm going to be doing and the podcast is going to be doing. And again, these, these points may have come up before. We are going to be at PAX, depending on when this uh, podcast drops. We're going to be at PAX in early December in Philadelphia. We're going to be meeting people. We've got tons of requests to do interviews. So we're really going to have to pick and choose the people that we really, really, really want to focus on and showcase the things that they're doing. Later in the year, I'm going to be at Salute 2024, which is more about historical wargaming. Uh, I'm going to be on the educational panel there and kind of the same deal. We're going to be interviewing people. And again, I mentioned this. Actually, no, I didn't mention this last podcast. Got some amazing news very recently that this podcast is in the top 50% right now in terms of functioning podcasts, in terms of downloads and things like that. So I can't be uh, any more grateful than I already am. Now, all of that said, uh, let's do a little bit of a uh, introduction here. So I'm going to swell the ego of my guest because this is completely and totally true. You can hear him giggling in the background. Um, this is completely and totally true. Look, I've been doing, um, I, I mean, it's not the, not a sophisticated way to say it, but I've been doing education for a really, really long time. 
And everybody knows that, you know, kind of my forte is getting historical games in the classroom, using games as a teaching tool. Anytime I meet anybody and I say, yeah, yeah, I'm a history teacher. Oh, that's super cool. Oh, yeah, I use lots of games in the classroom. Oh, that's super cool. Have you ever played? And then I just stop them and I say, yeah, Twilight Struggle, right? And they say, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so honestly, I could probably stop there because if you have, if you know anything about games, you know who Jason Matthews is. Uh, he is an author of lots of different games. Um, he's probably exhausted of talking about Twilight Struggle. We're going to talk a, a bit about it today, but honestly, we're probably going to focus on some of the other things that he does because I don't want him to be bored. Um, but so there you go. There's a little bit of an introduction. Again, I have him laughing. Uh, hi, Jason. <laughs> hi. Thank you so much, Jared. Uh, thank you for the very kind introduction. Oh, no, it's completely honest. You know, like I, I always say this to guests. Um, I said this, I just said this to Alyssa Faden, who was uh, my, my previous guest. And you both are so similar because you really are at the top of the food chain in terms of the things you do. And I don't talk to people I don't want to talk to on this pod. So that's why I'm excited. And I meant every word of what I said. Um, so look, J I mean, Jay, Jason, I don't know what you go by, but, um, <laughs> it's really an honor to have you here. I, I, you're just such a, a well-regarded designer. Um, maybe we should start simple. Uh, could you talk just maybe a little bit about your background, maybe how you sort of got into, you know, design and such of games? <laughs> So, um, I mean, even still, I'm more of a fanboy than I am a designer that I started by just playing lots of games. My dad, uh, I guess I was in junior high. Uh, my dad bought Axis and Allies for me uh, for Christmas on a whim. Like it wasn't something I asked for. He just knew what a, I was already a history nerd and he all and he knew that about me. And he bought this game for me. And, um, we were obsessed and it was like an, a major important father son bonding thing between us. And we played every weekend for years, really. And from there I started looking for, you know, what's next, what else is out there like this. And, you know, eventually chanced upon Avalon Hill games and I was, you know, off to the races. So I was really, I entered the hobby kind of at its nadir, like the Avalon Hill and SBI were still publishing when I entered and the decline started shortly thereafter. Right. Gotcha. Um, and so, but I had been involved in the hobby for whatever, 20 years before I published my first game. And that really started because uh, back in the day before Board Game Geek, you know, was a host of war gamers as well as regular Euro gamers. Um, most of us were all on concept world and um, Ananda, my co-designer uh, for T Twilight Struggle was really involved in like the GMT space over there. And uh, he started play testing for them and I was his play test opponent. Got and it. so uh we played a lot of amazing games. We were play testers for Wilderness War and, and a number of other interesting CDGs. We both loved CDGs. And uh, two things happened. First of all, the things that GMT were sending to us kept getting longer. And Ananda and I were right at a point in our professional lives where, you know, Paths of Glory was too long. So if you're adding time to that experience, we just didn't have time to play it. And... 
even though Twilight Struggle seems like a long game in, in modern terms, at the time we were designing it, we were trying to shift everything back to shorter, punchier uh, experiences that could be played in an evening. Right. So, so that was one motivation. And then we just, we were seeing a lot of CDGs that were not as successful as Paths of Glory or Wilderness War. And we decided, you know, we could maybe do this better ourselves. And that's, yeah. that was the, that was the impetus, but I am not one of those people who takes a game and wants to fiddle with it. Like I, yeah. I I'm not, I don't have that natural design instinct. Um, that was something that evolved. No, no, that makes total sense. I get that. Um, do you, so do you consider yourself like, and just in terms of if you had to label yourself as a gamer, I mean, would you say that you drift towards like, you know, historical war games or historical board war games, whatever, how, whatever term you want to use? It is certainly my entry point into the hobby, but it's, this really happened in law school. I, I, the, when I got to law school, there was a very active gaming club there and I was kind of a wargaming snob at the time. Like, I, if it didn't have Hex's Encounters, I wasn't interested. <laughs> gotcha. I get <laughs> and, that. <laughs> but I, I went to this group, and they were playing uh, an 18xx game. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God, all right, fine. Uh, and I loved it, as it turned out. And then I, I began to appreciate about myself that I just enjoyed games. Yeah. So I don't care anymore. Like I'll, I'll sit and play anything. And at this stage, I'm, I also am there to steal good ideas from anywhere uh, because right. they come from all corners. No, sure. I mean, that's what we all do right now. Yeah. Again, it just so I did not know this about you. So, but I feel like the stars are too aligned to not talk about this. Right. So I guess, did you do Model UN growing up? Because that's where I am. I'm literally sitting at, in Princeton, New Jersey. I got all my uh, quote-unquote nerds downstairs killing it. Did, did you do Model <laughs> UN? I am uh, a proudly a man of mun, as we used to say. Um, yes. Yes, uh, I uh, was the president of my Model UN uh, group. That's I awesome. I did that. Uh, Qatar was my first country. and Sweet. Yeah, it was... It, it, it was a great experience, actually. No, I'm sure that it was. Um, now, so question, you did it in high school and college or just high school? I did not do it in college. I was in both in high school and college. I was in debate and model UN. Um, yep. And you, in college, you didn't really have time for both, honestly. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, I think my listeners would know this, but and, and again, jump in if I'm incorrect, but I mean, you basically walk in the same circles that Kevin Bertram does, right? From Fourth Circle Games, because that's we how are... I found out about you. <laughs> you know, what? I hate to say, well, I mean, like, like I know that sounds creepy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Kevin and I are first and foremost friends, but yeah. uh, and we live nearby, and so we've we've been friends for quite a few years now. That's cool. Um, and I I help out at Fourth Circle as best I can. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I got, I, we may, we may meet because he did give me the invite. I don't know if you're going to be there or not, but I think that he, he was telling me that there's going to be uh, a con in April. I, yes. Right? And I so, absolutely will be there. Oh, yeah. cool. So yeah, yeah, yeah we'll yeah. definitely have to. Yeah. So the story is like, I, and honestly, again, totally just being honest here. Um, a lot of times the best guests that I have tend to be recommendations from other folks. So I'm horrible with putting names 
with games in the same way that like I I love music and I know bands, but like the song names I don't know. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> it, 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 and it wasn't on the pod. We didn't record it, but you know, Kevin and I were talking and it was just like, hey, like, who would you recommend? You know, who who should I talk to? And he started talking about you. And then all of a sudden I put two and together. Oh, wait, you mean the game that Vladimir Klemenko, who teach who was taught for decades in the room next to me? will not stop talking about his game. Like, you know, and I've, I've seen it played a million times. You know, that's kind of how this podcast came to life, you know? So huge shout out to Kevin, you know? Um, so it's, so it's got to be a little vibrant community you guys have in, in, in D.C. I'm super proud of what has happened lately. And um, really this, uh, we had uh, an outlet of the complete strategist down here, yep. kind of the famous. Oh, Manhattan yeah, when there was a war. kid. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So we had one here and it closed and I was like, uh, okay, this is yet one more outlet for the very robust wargaming community that we have in DC that is closed. And we just are too siloed and we we're not talking to one another. Yeah. And so at our one, uh, well, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be this dismissive, but we have a very nice game store in yep. on Capitol Hill yep. called Labyrinth. And we started something called Wargame Wednesdays there. And because we have so many uh, prominent game designers in the area, we have been able to fill, well, now like a year and a half worth of monthly programming where we bring in a game designer. They talk about whatever it is they're working on. And uh, we have an audience there and, you know, they do it. We do a Q&A session, which is really excellent. And then uh, everybody does open historical gaming. And so yeah, for the first yeah. time since I have lived here, all of the war gamers um, are kind of coming together and, and getting to know one another and out of their basements. No, that's super, super <laughs> cool. Um, and I love that phrase, by the way. I use that phrase all the time, the old basement thing. But you know what's funny? And again, I love that uh, I'm pairing this podcast with the one that I just did. Because you and Alyssa Fadian, even though Alyssa Fadian does very different things, she's she basically makes uh, like the most ridiculous Dungeons and Dragons maps that I have ever seen in my life. You know, she hand draws everything. Um, but my Beautiful point is, is, yeah, no, for sure, is just sort of uh, sort of the uniqueness there. That's kind of what I love about pairing these two podcasts um, podcasts together. The other thing that I was going to say, even though I'm slightly losing my train of thought, but the other thing that I was going to say about what you guys seem to be creating, it seems like there's a, a number of really cool groups in D.C. that are all kind of doing the same thing. So, for example, I have a lot of connections with um, Georgetown University has an amazing game club. Goose, have you ever heard of that by any chance? I think I may have lost you. Uh, yeah, you uh, no, no, it's okay. I, I know you're about to say Sebastian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sebastian. That's what I was about to say. Um, yes, do you know um, him? Yes. Uh, He's a yeah, I mean, at this stage, I don't think there's anybody who's an active war game designer who is not part of our, our little uh, coterie. And yeah. it's great. Like, we all hang out together. We go and play games at each other's houses. And um, none of that was true five years ago. And now we all, like, Kevin and I and uh, a number of the other war game designers, Volko, have gone to judge the final projects at uh, Sebastian's uh, war gaming classes and that yeah. sort of yeah. thing. We've been out to the Naval Academy with him to do that. So we're 
yeah, we, we are all a resource for one another and it's a very collegial, uh, group of people. So it's, it, it's, uh, a great place to be. No, super good stuff. So maybe we should, maybe we should hold off on talking about Twilight Struggle just because there was one other connected point that I wanted to kind of get to given, you know, your experience with Model UN and things like that. So again, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you do sit on a board, which I know you can tell us, tell our audience a little bit more about on an educational board that does kind of talk about, you know, the cross pollination between games and education, right? If, if, if that's, oh, you do. Okay. So yeah. is it, would, yeah, I would love to hear about it. Yeah. So, um, last year I was elected to the game manufacturers association, uh, board, which, uh, as a fourth circle representative actually, uh, so I'm there as a publishing representative and, um, the gamma board, the gamma board was really founded initially by the war game companies to run origins back when origins was a war game event, basically, um, sort of unfortunately for those of you who know a little bit about Gamma's reputation, those companies didn't really like each other. SBI, Avalon Hill, they didn't get along, but they had to have this communal thing to run the convention for everybody. But when they created the communal thing, they tried to hobble it as best they can so it couldn't actually make decisions very easily. And they may have succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. But anyway, that. That is Gamma. Um, I, as a member of the board, I chair the Committee on Education, which has two functions. Um, one is the kind of professional educational function for Gamma, which is to say, uh, we put on programming about how to do accounting if you're a retailer or, or writing contracts, if you're a publisher or signing contracts, if you're a designer, um, all of all of that kind of um, professional um, educational uh, programming. And then uh, the part that's near and dear to my heart is this question about using gaming as a pedagogical tool and integrating it into the classrooms. And um, and so we that committee had existed before at Gamma, and there's always been at Origins like a teacher's track. Uh, teachers get reduced admission and they can this programming for them, they get free games, that sort of thing. So it's it's cool. But a lot of it had uh, fallen to the wayside during COVID. And so this committee was reorganized and reinstituted for all of those purposes. Right. And so we're working right now looking at a very interesting experiment that's happened in Seattle uh, about getting games in the classroom. And um, of course, we and we have a lot of great folks who are participating in the committee, all of the reacting to the past folks, the, the, um, uh, is it university of Northern Michigan that has put out its own, um, kind of historical gaming or educational gaming, uh, publishing house. So we, we've, we've got good brains working on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So one of the things that I think that I can definitely mention is that I, it's great to hear that this is happening ultimately because my entire career is predicated on pretty much everything that you're talking about. You know, the idea of, uh, increasing skills, increasing camaraderie, uh, getting kids reading. The second that you gamify material, that's where you're going to start to see kids sort of buy in immediately. And it's funny. Um, 
I don't usually talk this much, you know, about myself. It's really about the guests, <laughs> frankly, but there's so much connection here. So I'll give you a really great example of this, right? Why I think it's so important. My department had just sat in on a, almost randomly, to be honest, sat in on a session in which I had run a Congress of Vienna simulation in which the kids took on, you know, in 1815, the kids take on the roles of different countries and I give them the same policies that were either passed or declined at the real Congress. And again, without, you know, talking too much about this, basically, they play through the simulation. They are unbelievably motivated to do the work. And then the second that you connect it to a really powerful debrief where you're comparing the things that the kids did in their simulation versus what happened in real life. I mean, my department's department head's mind was like blown. And, uh, and I'll quote her, you know. She had basically said, I, I never knew that somebody could learn everything they're supposed to by playing a simulation. So, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is everything that you're doing on this board, if more schools would do it, we would have a way, way, way higher functioning group of people coming out of secondary schools. So um, two two things about that. Uh, the the way I really got very strongly engaged in this is um, I, much like your kind of uh, sequential uh, interview recommendations. I had been at one convention uh, and met a guy and he invited me to his convention. And so it was this sort of thing. But the, the other convention that I was invited to was in Denmark. And the Danes have this very interesting, it has a whole bizarre uh, historical underlay that has to deal with the uh, the Prussia or the Dano-Prussian War, but I will ignore that for a second. But anyway, they have these schools uh, called EFTA schools, and they're sort of state-sponsored um, boarding schools that are run throughout Denmark, and kids, uh, what would be like the sixth and first year of middle school, sixth grade and first year of middle school are sent to these schools. And um, and they tend to be like contemporary American charters and that they will have a theme. So there's a computer after school, there's a theater after school, blah, 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 blah. But one of the after schools teaches all of its uh, curriculum either through live action role play or um, through um, gamification of some sort. And so... I went to this convention, but I also spent a week at that school and ran a little Model UN, actually, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis simulation. So um, that's when it that's when I was like, oh, my God, this is such a fantastic experiment. Uh, you know, what what else has been tried? You know, and I, I started deep diving into um, as much of the research as I could find. Now, this is the caveat that I'm. I'm disappointed with, and it's something I want Gamma to work on, and I want uh, I want the whole hobby to highlight. I I used to work in the Senate. I spent 13 years as a chief of staff there. I know a fair amount about federal policy and how it's implemented. We will never be able to move games into the classroom without more actually scientifically verified evidence of the efficacy of gaming. And we are producing a ton all of a sudden of PhDs in gaming. 
but we are a lot of those PhDs, and I, I don't mean this dismissively, but they're focused on things that are not moving that ball forward at all. Um, and I get why it's so difficult. Um, it's, it's a very multidisciplinary problem that we're asking people to tackle. And so if you're a gaming PhD, that doesn't mean you have an education PhD, which doesn't mean you have a child psychology PhD. And, you know, we can go on and on and on. But we can't tell you which games are best in a classroom. Is it a board game? Is it a computer game? Is it an RPG? We couldn't tell you what ages it would be best. Do you link games with a lecture before or after? Like all of these very important questions that we would need to answer before you could go before a state school board and say, let's do this. We just don't know. And that is not the way policymakers make decisions. And so until we build the research, we're going to rely on people like you, Jared, which is fantastic to have these kind of um, folks out in the wilderness yelling. But uh, I would like us to have a movement. 100% agree with you. I run into a lot of the same issues, not within the schools I've ever worked at. Because when people see games in action, they can see what it does to the room. But you are so unbelievably right. And by the way, and I don't say this from an egotistical standpoint. I say it from a standpoint of there are not many people that recognize this. When I have done my research about games, right, I have an entire Google folder with papers that have been written all over the United States and across the world. We can prove that through um, some of the studies that have been done. We can prove that games increase camaraderie. We can improve, we can prove that kids will be more engaged with games. What I never can find is research that proves beyond a reasonable doubt, so to speak, that kids will know content better. Kids will actually have skills increased. Do you know what I mean? Because no, it doesn't seem like, again, unless I am very wrong or I'm missing something, I don't know if anybody's ever done a proper study because when I try to sell this to corporations, meaning the thing that I get most uncomfortable with is when I talk to corporations that want to bring myself and HMGS Next Gen into their spaces, I can prove lots of things about games, but that's the thing that I don't have the data that says if you pay me $10,000 to run a three-day workshop, your employees are going to, you know, increase their skills when it comes to A, B, C. Does that make right. sense? I, it, it's, it is the, it's the missing link yep. and, and we have to have it, but I, I get that it's hard. Like, okay, you know, you need all these classrooms. You'd have to have, um, and you know, you'd have to have the correct proportion of, uh, gender and race and whatever makeup and economic differentials, like, and a control group, like I get why doing these experiments is hard, right? but it's not like gaming is the only place where educational experiments, it's hard, it's hard throughout all of uh, this field of study. So, you know, it's, it's something that can be done. We well, just haven't. It will, so I'm going to get oh. a little, I'm going to get a little fired up right now, right? Because if we look <laughs> at the other side of the coin here, why don't we think about education in the United States, right? So we know that in 
plenty of schools, certainly at the college level, definitely still in, in some in uh, in some secondary schools. We know that what kids retain from year to year. Also, we know that in terms of lecture format, which is really where I'm going with this, we know that most people learn just about nothing from a lecture. <laughs> but that's fine, right? That's yeah, yeah, all yeah. fine. We still do that. Yet we we still don't have schools that will necessarily fully buy into the idea of using like really sophisticated games to trigger something in a student to get them more motivated to want to learn. It's unbelievable to me, actually, you know, the way that our ed- education system works, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very fair critique. It's clear that the status quo has not had to defend itself in the same way that any innovation does. But, um, you know, we are where we are. And... Uh, but it, but we share this passion about trying to address it. The thing that I was most surprised about, to be honest, is after I went through the, the research, and as you say, there are, there are small studies that are important. And I saw a good one on numerology and the use of sort of Yahtzee to improve uh, elementary skill or kids' uh, numerology skills, and that seems to have some concrete results. Vanderbilt did an interesting study about the use of different types of historical computer games, um, but, but it's still few and far between, but what was most surprising is my next step was to go to the Pentagon to see army training doctrine command, all of these war game, um, all of these war game and training entities within the DOD to see what, what information they had. And you will be shocked to learn that we've been spending billions and billions of dollars on war gaming, but we don't have very much data to prove that, um, <laughs> It improves training. Yeah, I'll put my surprised face on and it's on. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But you know what? The good news is this, right? We're not the only people talking about this. Obviously, there are people out there that understand. So, I mean, there is certainly the possibility that um, within the next few years, if more people, I guess maybe you could say it this way, almost like in academia, because honestly, I do this stuff, but it's probably not going to be me, right? It's got to be somebody, I would say, at a university level with a background in science, maybe the background in political science, who can actually crunch the numbers, get some data to actually prove the efficacy of game-based learning, right? Because again, we have so many, so many anecdotes that say that it works. We have so many tangential ways to, to show that it works, but to really just have that one crystal clear study. I, I kudos to you because if you can make it happen on the board that you're sitting on, um, I'll say this, even though I had no intention of talking about any of this, which is always like the sign of a good podcast, I'm in, dude. So I mean, if there's something that I can do to be helpful, um Fantastic. I'm in. You know what I mean? So we'll have well, to talk. I may I may try and rope you into this board I'm on, but we'll talk about that after the oh, podcast. You, you don't need to rope, you don't need to phrase it that way. I mean, I would definitely be interested, you know. Okay, well, let, let's say this, though. So just in terms of, because again, I know what people are thinking out there, right? It's almost like going to see the Stones, and uh, depending on what kind of music you like, and you're sort of waiting for Brown Sugar, sort of waiting for um, the hit, so to speak. So look, I, right. I, 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 hopefully you're not cringing right now. It doesn't seem no, like you are. Not um, at all. So we have to, I have to ask you this question. All right. Where... What is the moment? Let's phrase it this way. What is the moment where you say to yourself, I've got this idea. It's called Twilight Struggle. 
And it's just going to be this thing that anybody who does anything political, anybody who does anything history and loves games, it's just the go-to. Where, where is that origin? So um, it wasn't on purpose. Uh, we weren't, we weren't trying to design a game for political scientists or, or history nerds. Yes. But political scientists, no, not so much, but both Ananda and I, at the time we designed twilight struggle, were actively engaged in politics in Washington. Uh, Ananda was at a think tank and I was working in the Senate. And so I think some of that sensibility comes through. We were not um, kind of weighed down from a DOD. A lot of war game designers come from the DOD initially, or they work with the DOT, and they have that same sensibility of divorcing politics from military operations. And since Ananda and I were political people, we had just the opposite sensibility. You know, it, it, politics drives the military, not the other way around. Um, and but like I say. Twilight Struggle started out as a Spanish Civil War game because we thought card-driven games were, were perfect for Civil Wars at the time, although there have been a lot of successful designs since. At the time, there were not a lot of games about the Spanish Civil War. And as I've said in other places, um, what, what, end, what stopped that from happening is when I started doing the reading on the Spanish Civil War, I realized I could spend the rest of my life studying the Spanish Civil War without fully grasping all the political nuances of it. And so it really was Ananda who said, Hey, what about the cold war? And, um, we didn't, there was one fortunate thing that we didn't know, which is that Gene, uh, the G and GMT is obsessed with the cold war. So he was, he was going to be a go from the, from the moment he suggested it. And then because I'm old, I lived through a bunch of the cold war. So, from the second we decided on the Cold War, everything was about shrinking, uh, you know, because I already knew all I needed to know to design a game on that subject. Right. That makes sense. So when you designed the game, was your intention for it to be a fun game? Was it your intention for it to be less about the fun and more about the learning? I don't know if that's a fair question or not. Does that make um, sense? It does make sense. And I can I would frame never, it another way, by the way. I could frame I would, it another I, way. I would never sacrifice fun for learning because I think the trick to gaming is to make the learning fun. And if it's not fun, then you get a very bland simulation. And if you have played anything that the Pentagon does of war games, you get a lot of those. And their, their purpose is not to entertain. Their purpose is to train. Well, I hate to say it because it came up earlier. I, I mean, look, you know, having been doing this as long as I have, it's kind of what kind of keeps me from the reacting to the past stuff because it's not, they're not really a game. I mean, if you're just asking, like, don't get me wrong. If you're giving research to somebody um, and you're saying do something with this research, almost in the model UN sense, that's gamified. If you're just sort of asking people to be a parakeet and just, be able to, well, I have this research and I'm just going to spout this research off. I don't know. Like, and again, I, I hate to, I hate to pick on reacting to the past, but I, what I'm saying is I agree with you. Like there, there has to be the game element. There has to be the learning and it has to be fun and you can do all of those things together. Yeah. There, I mean, 
I think it's an interesting question. There's a, a weird fuzzy line between acting and role playing. Um, and it's not a line that I have explored, but I, but I realize it exists there. And it's, I think if you go too far in either directing or either direction, you don't get a very successful role playing game. Right. No, totally. I totally agree with you. So, okay. So staying on the, on this path of talking a little bit about Twilight Struggle. So makes sense in terms of the standpoint you were coming from in sort of designing the game. Now, we probably don't have the time to go into all of its intricacies, but would you pick out some of the mechanics from the game that you think are the most relevant, you th- that you think are the most important? So there, there are weird little things that I think are extremely important in terms of the game. And one of them was that... Um, we sort of, and, and this goes back to, we were stealing at the time, and one of the things that was distinguishing about Twilight Struggle also is uh, that we were stealing heavily from European game design influences. And the scoring card mechanism is something that we grabbed from Alan Moon, um, and uh, the nature of the scoring card is a little bit like History of the World, which is not really something that anybody tends to point out about why they enjoy Twilight Struggle. But the reason that random scoring card is so important in the game is that it creates all by itself the paranoia uh, that is definitely part of the Cold War experience, so the, the people who lived it. And also adds to the tension of the game. Why is he doing this? Does is he about to score that card? Do I need to defend there, or should I, you know, be focused elsewhere because this is a lost cause? All of that strategic decision making just comes from the fact that we have kind of a random scoring card that you don't know when it's coming out. You know, in a general sense, that when it's coming out, but not. Uh, in its particularities. And so that helps us create in an important way um, the tension of the game. Yeah. Uh, there are some things that are weirdly designed yeah. to effect. Uh, we found that um, much to my surprise that war gamers are very cautious. And so <laughs> um, if, if you don't force them to take chance, they won't, which is where the DEFCON uh, track and the required military operations piece came from. And as I've said in other places, uh, kind of the flip side of that is that you couldn't get war gamers to stop doing the war part. So we initially had a much more military, uh, a higher military component in the game design, and we just got rid of all of it because we could not get war gamers to stop doing the war game thing and experience the Cold War as it actually was. No, it makes total sense. How long did it take for you to develop the game? So um, it took us, and this is, I think, turned out to be true. Uh, development, GMT had a, a serious difficulty in from the time that they had accepted the game until it was published. And so it, it looked like they might potentially go under. And so it was actually, they accepted the design in 2000 and it was published in 2005. So I had five years of tweaking cards, adding cards, removing cards, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, we still didn't get everything right in spite of that extended development time. But um, now, but I would say that the game itself was recognizable uh, after about a year and some change of design. So would you, would you say that your most prominent role uh, was the actual game design, but did you also do like, um, like in terms of the cards, in terms of the aesthetics of the game, is that all you as well? Or did you no. have other folks helping? Um, I have been much, much more engaged in that subject ever since Twilight Struggle. Mm -hmm. But since we were brand new game designers, um, they just sent us stuff. <laughs> we're like okay that, that was as deep into the design aesthetic as we got gotcha. um so that was a little bit disappointing but i it, originally what i had wanted i don't know if you'd ever played supremacy but there was but it had a very um it was it's an old uh 1980s game a kind of um sort of an axis and allies multiplayer feel but set in a cold war setting and it had a very stylized and 1980s looking board and i wanted something like that for twilight struggle so that it looked a little more thematic um we didn't get that there but obviously we got good work for 1960 for that sort of evocative uh, um uh imagery and and design and ever since then gmt has let me um, bother artists to do what I want them to do. Gotcha. I, so I'm going to more than likely upset you. I'm not much of a board gamer. Um, it's something I've talked about on the show before. So I grew up, I am hundred percent a war gamer. Um, frankly, it, I, I, I sometimes see this. I mean, I, I like to think I'm a smart guy, but games are really what kind of put me on my track in life, you know? So I, I started playing like really like his miniature war games. So I do all of the painting of miniatures and things like that. So I've come to a lot of games. So, you, you know, you're talking about supremacy. I've never heard of that. You know, I, I'm really, I would say just in the last three or four years is where I've really started to discover Fort Circle games, some of your titles, things like that. So I'm in a very weird way. I'm kind of a novice when it comes to some of the games that you've, you've mentioned on this pod so far. <laughs> Well, we could have dived into miniatures gaming because the second thing I discovered after Access and Allies was actually miniatures uh, games. Well, yeah. not exactly. I run into a couple of the Avalon Hill titles, but um, there was a period of time where Origins was rotating. It was not in the same city every year. And just by chance, it was in Los Angeles where I grew up. And... I would like I say I was like well let me I'm trying to find more access and ally stuff I saw a weird ad in a hobby store for the convention and I went in and and um, in the main hall as you walked in they I think it was I don't know what let's see 150th anniversary of Wagram or something it was Wagram for sure and uh, practically on a one to one scale and it just absorbed the whole room and I was like. I am doing that. Whatever, whatever those guys are doing, that is my next thing. Um, so I have also lost uh, a lot of visual acuity painting miniatures. And um, I started in Napoleonics. I did. I got into the Boer War for some reason, the American Civil War, ironclads. Um, so, yeah, we have that in common as well. 
No, very cool. I had no idea. I had no idea you were a miniatures guy. No, that's very cool. So if we do run into each other in April, now I know what I'll have to bring, you know, I'll have to definitely bring some minis, you know? So I hear, you know, as you, as you've been talking about your game, what I'm trying to think of in my head are questions maybe that you've never gotten before about, you know, some of your design, because again, you know, we only have X amount of time here. So maybe I'll say this. And again, you seem like a very humble person. So I, I don't know if this is the right question to ask you, but I mean, how does it feel to be, honestly, like one of the first games that people think of when you think of the classroom, when you think of the modern world, the Cold War? I mean, people basically think of your game. And I can rattle off half a dozen names of like schools that I've been in, in which I see the history classroom and your game is sitting there. What does that make you feel? I mean, it, it it's weirdly flattering. Um, and and has a, a particular resonance because I got my love of history because of my grandfather. He was a Welsh immigrant and uh, had been very well decorated in the Second World War. And so when I um, when I was little, he I would sit literally sit on my knee and he would read me history books. And that that's where the love began. But what he wanted me to do in life was to be a writer, um, which I have never gotten around to. But I feel in some some way that what I have done in game design gets at that desire and scratches that itch a little bit. And so when I hear what I've, I've heard many times, and this is incredibly flattering and, and exciting because it's what I would have hoped uh, people say things like, I was never interested in the Cold War, had no, like zero exposure to it. We got a day and a half of it in class and I played your game and now I'm obsessed that, you know, they, there can be no more satisfying thing for me to hear. Yeah. So the other point that I wanted to make, which I got a little bit, I don't know, maybe tongue twisted a little, a little while ago. And I, I, I knew there was something that I wanted to say, and it's sort of coming back to me now. So when we were, when I was sort of making the comparison between some of the things that you're talking about and some of the things that on the podcast that kind of partners with this, with Alyssa Faden, I, I think what is just really cool, I use the word uniqueness to describe the two of you, but there's something else that I want to, I want to sort of point out. What I, what I love is, you know, we both use the word kind of almost like the basement dwellers, like getting the gamers <laughs> out of the basement. But the more that, that I think about it and the more that I sort of look around, even the kids that I teach, the kinds of kids that get drawn to this, it's not necessarily that stigma anymore. And it's almost like, you know, we're sort of the cool people now, you know, which I didn't get a chance to say earlier. So again, like, you're so humble. I think it's just really, really, really cool that you can go to so many different schools and so many different game stores and find people that have all these eclectic interests and, you know, like her maps and your games are things that get talked about, which is just so nice. It's a nice, um, I, I like to use the word, it's almost relieving compared to, <laughs> I don't know what your experience was as a gamer, but I don't, I didn't really tell people about the hobby hobbies that I had. It was just weird. You know, I, yeah, that was my experience. Uh, all forms of nerddom had to be kept in the closet when I was a kid, like yeah. telling people you read comic books was the fast way to a beating. And, yeah. uh, and now they have, they are so integrated into the mainstream 
as to be ridiculous. Not only do people know who Aquaman is now, you know, they, it, which would have been unthinkable when I was a little boy. Um, they know the most obscure characters because they've been exposed to all this stuff and things like Game of Thrones. Uh, they've just been an endless salt of uh, what had been fringe interests for people like me into the mainstream. And yeah. I guess it is nice to be welcome yeah. there now. Yeah, I used to be a little resentful. It's funny, like the older that I've got, I'm more appreciative now of this. But when I was younger, you know, it's funny. It's like, you know, when I was in my, you know, in my teens, you know, sort of not to say that I got overwhelmingly picked on or anything, but like, you know, I was sort of a fringe kid, you know, when it came to my music taste, when it came to games, things like that. Man, I will never forget, you know, Game of Thrones had come out, you know, you go into the bookstore and some giant jock comes by. They see that I wear glasses. They kind of nudge me a little bit, you know, kind of kind of dragging the knuckles on the ground, asking where the Game of Thrones books were. And I would be so resentful. <laughs> but nowadays, as I'm older, I'm less resentful. It's like, oh, this is actually really cool. Like, I may never have talked to you before, but now I will. Now we might yeah. have something that we can kind of chat about, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's definitely a good thing. So, so Jason, just in terms of kind of, oh, at least for the time being kind of wrapping up, because again, um, I feel like when, when this podcast ends, there's a lot that we can talk about professionally about, you know, some of the things that have come up today. Um, here's a question. Just, so what are you up to now? Like, what are the things that, that, that you're doing now in terms of games or even just maybe some of your, uh, the professional things that you do in your life? Where are you at at this point? Sure. Um, so I, um, I spent 13 years in the Senate and then like people in Washington do, I eventually sold my soul, uh, and I became a lobbyist, which is what I do now. And I run a lobbying firm here in Washington. We're sort of focused on energy and environment issues. I had worked for a democratic Senator from Louisiana, which is obviously a very, uh, significant oil and gas state, but also a state with a lot of environmental issues. And so, uh, I know something about those things. And, um, so that, that's what, that's what pays my bills. Gotcha. Uh, I, uh, I serve on two boards. Actually, uh, I'm chairman of the board of a, a nonprofit organization that fights child trafficking, uh, in the United States. And I've been involved with that organization for some time. And I'm also on the gamma board, as I mentioned before, or, or, uh, which is an exciting, interesting way to interact with the hobby uh, or or hear complaints from all corners of the hobby, whatever, however you want to characterize it. In, in terms of uh, game design stuff, right now I have a game on the P500, uh, which is another successor to Twilight Struggle. The um, I did Twilight Struggle Red Sea, which is sort of this introductory lunchtime game focused on the Horn of Africa. And this next game will be Twilight Struggle South Asian Monsoon. Uh, if... Red Sea was kind of an introductory game. South Asian Monsoon will be for kind of advanced people who have experienced the Twilight Struggle system. It'll still play in about half the time as regular Twilight Struggle, but it's uh, it'll be a, a more complex challenge, best tackled by people who already know how to play. And I have owed Kevin a game for quite some time. Um, uh, Kevin from Fort Circle Games, I should say. Uh, on the Aaron Burr treason trial. Um, most people know who Aaron Burr now is thanks to the Hamilton musical, but uh, 
things really go off the rails after the musical ends. Uh, after the after he sh- shoots Hamilton, Jefferson throws him off the ticket, so he's no longer vice president, and he decides to go down to Louisiana, newly uh, newly acquired Louisiana, and uh, declare himself king. But he's so sloppy in his process of doing it. Word gets back to Jefferson almost immediately, and they start a manhunt, find him uh, in Alabama on the basis that he has the most piercing blue eyes. And some guy goes, that has to be him. Uh, So they nab him. They bring him back to Richmond for trial, and he's put on trial in front of John Marshall, who is the chief justice of the Supreme Court. But because Jefferson hates the federal judiciary, he's forcing all the justices to also hear district court cases. And uh, Thomas Jefferson and John Marshall hate one another and their cousins um, because everybody in Virginia is related. And um, and then the trial begins. We put a vice president on trial for treason, which is to say that the things that are happening in contemporary America do have their uh, historical antecedents. Indeed. You are a very busy person, by the way. You seem to have a lot happening. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, you can sleep when you're dead, I hear. Yeah, this is very true. And you know what? On that note, uh, this was great. I'm so glad that we got a chance to do this. Uh, Similar to the Alyssa Faden interview, you know, this podcast has gotten to the point where it's like, I'll, I'll, you know, contact somebody in the summer and not interview them for four months. So it was really (laughs) cool finally, uh, you know, getting a chance to, to speak with you. And also, too, I love podcasting because... It is really not so much to do with me. I just like to hear people's stories. And I always learn things about people that I didn't know before. And if I'm doing that, then clearly the audience is as well. So I really appreciate this, man. If 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 somebody wants to sort of, I always say this, I don't mean to be creepy, but if somebody wants to find you, <laughs> where where would be the best place to kind of see your work or get in touch or interact with you in the uh, interwebs, so to speak? I, I am not well hidden at all. I am uh, Jason Matthews on Facebook, and I have a little icon that Twilight Struggle folks will be familiar with. Uh, <clears throat> I'm on Twitter, of course, as Jason DC 1970, or just maybe Jason DC, and I remember. Um, and on Blue Sky now as well, uh, also Jason DC. So it's easy enough to find me if you're if you're so inclined. Awesome. Well, I'm sure people will be so inclined. So now it's very cool. Like I said, in all seriousness, really wonderful to talk to you. And hopefully, hopefully three things. Hopefully, A, we'll be able to do some work together. B, hopefully I'll see you in in April. And then C, maybe we do this again at some point. Because again, I always find that the first interview, it's literally just hitting the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You know, (laughs) so we'll have to get you on again at some point. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Jerry. Indeed. And everybody out there, uh, so really you should listen to these two podcasts together uh, because I really do think that that they connect in a very thematic way, just in terms of things that uh, Jason has done with his career and the things that Alyssa has done with hers. Nothing makes me more happy, and I know I'm pontificating, uh, but nothing makes me more happy than to choose people for this podcast that are doing not just things, but exceptional things. And that is what I think, that is what I think brings Alyssa and our friend Jason together. And again, now I'll really sound lame and get somewhat emotional. Um, 
you know, there may be people downstairs here at the Model UN that are going to do similar things in their lives. So thank you, everybody. Have a good one. (laughs) See you later, Jack. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.